This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's start off with sort of the news of the day or the news of the moment for the Rockets. I think with us transitioning from the lottery to the scouting combine that they, you know, there have been media availabilities for these guys that have been at the scouting combine. Pretty much the entire league is there. We've now, I, I feel like, gotten our first and maybe most thorough look and dissecting of Ime Udoka and the team that he's inheriting. He did interviews with Kelly Eco at The Athletic, Jonathan Fagan at the Houston Chronicle, and we got to get a little bit of insight into how he views the players that he's inheriting, the team that they have in front of him, and some of the things that he wants to do. And all of it, I feel like, is pretty consistent, both his analysis of the team and the things and their shortcomings were pretty consistent with what we watched and what we understand them to be and sort of the things that he wants to do with the players uh, in terms of creating better shots, giving better effort on defense, those type of things, uh, uh, turning up the intensity and things like that. I think were all things that we would probably say were consistent with what we expected of him. But what were some of your takeaways from what you've read from Ime Yudoka over the last 24 hours or so? You know, I, I haven't gotten to, to read a lot of it, but I've had a couple of people who have kind of say one thing and they've kind of come to the same conclusion. And that is he's kind of been taking some shots at the previous coaching staff yeah. stuff that he that he said. And just kind of it kind of feels like that he felt that the guys on the roster were in a sense misused. And, and I think the big one, and I think this is probably the one that's most important moving forward. He brought up Kevin Porter Jr. as a spot up shooter and how he's basically a 40% three point shooter. And it's kind of the same thing. We've talked about catch and shoot stuff. We've talked about spot up stuff and, but he just didn't take very many, you know, he, he took very few spot up or catch and shoot type threes when he's probably the best on the team at it to and a game. To a game was what, what we came up with, to a game. And it's one of those things where it feels like they are going to try to get him to do that more, and it feels like they're going to try and move him off the ball a little bit. And I'm very interested to see how that goes because it's not like the previous staff did not know about the catch-and-shoot numbers. It was talked about plenty, but it was difficult to – it was it was hard to move Porter off the ball because there was nobody they had that could really play on the ball. I guess the one guy who could maybe create offense for other people was Alperin Shingun. And one of the things that we've talked about with Shingun and one of the things that really hurt them, you know, he's obviously a very good offensive player, but he would never look to the perimeter when it came to passing. All of his assists would usually come towards the basket. So you weren't getting those catch and shoot opportunities when, 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 uh, when Shingun would essentially serve as the hub and you had Porter around him just because those weren't the type of shots that Shingun would really look for, for, you know, when it came to, to creating shots for his teammates. So I, I'm interested to see how much they play Kevin Porter Jr. off the ball because he was their best three point shooter the entire season. He's very good when it comes to catch and shoot. And they just did not, he just not did not have enough opportunities to do that. 
Well, but this has to be like a good sign for Kevin Porter Jr. fans, right? Like if you're a Kevin Porter Jr. fan or you're somebody that really wants Kevin Porter Jr. to work here, to me, this is a good sign because it says that they're going to put Kevin Porter Jr. in more of a role that is advantageous to him, that maybe better suits him. Now, we talked about maybe he's better off leading a second unit, so maybe he is still better off with the ball in his hands and not just relegating him to just being a catch-and-shoot guy. But I, I, I do feel like it's a step in the right direction to say, hey, we're going to move him off the ball and not make him as ball dominant and try to take more advantage of his scoring ability and allow him to be a playmaker on top of that, but maybe not make that his central job or his central focus. The, the interesting part about that is whenever you – Kevin Porter Jr., at the end of the season, he made it clear he's a point guard. And he, there were – I wish there was video of it or there is somewhere I just haven't been able to find it, but he it was somewhat, I'm not going to say contentious, but it was somewhat uncomfortable. Uh, it was during the last, it was after the last practice of the season, or at least the last practice that they had at Toyota center. And somebody asked him about moving off the ball and he said, okay, well then, you know, about moving maybe to more of a wing role. And basically his response is, well, who's playing point guard. And they basically, and then there was a follow-up question to that. And he basically said, I'm a point guard. And so they've kind of had that in their heads, you know, from, from an organizational standpoint where they traded for him two years ago and they made him a point guard. Now I don't know how he would feel about being asked to move off of that role. And so it's kind of an interesting, uh, you know, tug and pull here with that role. And I'm very interested to see how that works out. Now the previous staff was the one who said, Hey, we're making you a point guard. Now you have a new head coach. And, and it seems pretty clear that he and Yudoka have struck up a bond so far. I mean, Porter was the only player who was at the press conference where Yudoka was introduced. Um, Porter has been in Chicago at the combine. He spoke to the guys who are going to get drafted. I believe it was yesterday. So it, it's kind of, I'm assuming Ime Yudoka is kind of planning the whole, hey, you know what? We agree. You know, we, we think you're a point guard, but at the same time, we feel like you, some of your skills would really work well off the ball too. Yeah, there, there could be a happy compromise where he becomes like a point forward type where they move him off the ball. He's the other wing, but he's sort of a secondary playmaker. And maybe that's the, the bridge there. But I would ask you, since you were there for that moment that you just talked about, of him saying that I'm a point guard and I was not. So I would ask you, cause I'm curious, here's like my response or reaction, having not been there, just trying to read it based off of the way that you said it and based off of what I know about the team and how it's discussed and how these guys are talked about. Do you wonder if maybe, or at least I wonder if maybe that was his response because of all of the criticism about him being a point guard, but he went out there and was their best player last year and when he wasn't out there for the 20 some odd games or whatever it was with the foot thing, like the, or the toe, whatever it was like, they not only did they not have a starting point guard, but they didn't have a backup point guard to even fill his role really. And they were lost. They were lost without him. And, and it wasn't a very good team. Wasn't a good team at all to begin with, with or without him, but he was clearly the best player on the team. He was the only person that could play point guard at all at an NBA level, really on the team. And I wonder if, like, at the end of the season, after putting in a season like that where he kind of showed and proved his value, at least to that particular team, if he's kind of just like, hey, guys, what the hell? You know, like, I just went out there and did a pretty damn good impression of a point guard for a guy who's not a point guard. Like, I wonder, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying I wonder if 
in his mind he's actually okay with just being able to go out there and play and still be some sort of focal point even if he's not the point guard yeah i don't know i i always i'm always real careful about trying to psychoanalyze players because i'm in no position to do it um but i i think his big you know because he he asked okay well if i'm not playing point guard who is playing point guard essentially because the, but so, the answer to that is an easy answer. Like, well, I, I, not, trust not, me, I wanted to chime in and say, yeah, you know, there's this guy with the beard. He's been around. You know, you might know him. You kind of, yeah. I kind of wanted to get. It. I, I wanted to follow up with that. It wasn't exactly the best time. But but even even but even if we didn't like straight up disrespect him and say, hey, James Harden's coming here to take your job, it could still be that. Like, well, the answer is you guys have free agency and a draft coming up. You're going to have an opportunity to add players one way or another, one player or another. So it could be any it could be anybody in theory after this season. Like, yeah, in season, who's going to play point guard? The answer is no damn body because nobody else could. Right. But but the idea is that they're not going to go in the next season looking the same way that they did this year. Yeah, you would think. And you look at the guys who are on the market, obviously their top free agent target, we think, is a point guard. Um, we're going to get into what they might do it for, um, you know, the leftovers from one through three, I think probably three or four of the highest rated prospects after you get past the top three are point guards as well. So it becomes, you know, there are some interesting decisions that they have to make when it comes to that position, because it's, it's important. I mean, that's the guy who runs your offense. That's the, you know, that if you are going to have a good offense, you need to have a good point guard, not just for the minutes that Porter's on the floor, but you know, for the 16 minutes or whatever, where he's not on the floor. And that's where, their offense tended to really die last year, especially when he had to miss those 20 games is when uh, he wasn't on the floor. So uh, I, I, I kind of reserve judgment on a lot of this stuff until you see what the roster is actually going to look like, because what the roster is now is not going to be even close to what the roster looks like once training camp starts in, you know, four and a half months or whenever it is. Yeah, I, I, I do wonder, and not to go too far into the psychoanalysis, but I do wonder how committed, necessarily Kevin Porter is to necessarily being a point guard versus how proud he is of himself for being able to show that he could do it on some level, even if he's not a natural at it. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this one comment though. You said you didn't get, get to read all of some of this stuff, but here's one talk about the criticism of the previous coaching staff. I, th I thought this quote from Ime Udoka to the athletics Kelly Eco was it felt like and just as reading it obviously so i don't have necessarily can adjust for tone but this felt like a criticism of both the players effort themselves and perhaps the coaches kelly asked and this is obviously edited a little bit for clarity but essentially the question is what have you been able to gather from last season's tape from a defensive standpoint obviously noting that the team struggled but there were some bright spots and this is the quote that stands out to me from Ime Yudoka. He says, the first thing I would say is that we have competitive guys. What I saw on tape at times didn't always translate to who those players are or to who they are as players. We have some naturally good defenders. So there he is. He's saying we have some competitive guys, but what I saw on tape did not translate into who they are as players which is to say they weren't very competitive on defense. To me, that's that's the way that I translated that. Um, I don't know if that's if that's the way that you read into it, but you've got to think that Emei Udoka watches this film and probably just puts his head down on some of the things that they did defensively. And that that might be the most immediate impact that Emei Udoka is going to have on the team. 
I need to follow up with Kelly because I want to know what these bright spots were. Because I feel like I was, I, I watched a good portion of these games and I don't remember too many bright spots. I remember, you know, maybe a possession here, a possession there, maybe some deflections, but there weren't a whole lot of bright spots. So Kelly's being very, very, being very, very charitable. He's, um, trying, he's, trying, he's trying to throw Emei a bone there. Trying yeah. to throw Emei a bone and say, hey, man, it wasn't all bad, huh? What'd you think? I mean, they were, they weren't last in defense. So that was a good thing. Uh, he, he did, he did kind of get into the scheme and the drop coverage and, you know, they had Shingun in drop coverage a lot, but Shingun isn't really a type of guy who you want in drop coverage. The problem is what defense are you actually going to play him in? That, that, that would be my question. And we'll get into this as you get into camp and, and deeper into the summer, but like, okay, what, what defense do you feel like Shingun would be best suited for and how does that impact the rest of the team? Uh, so I, I, I'm very, you know, we can read all this stuff and we can talk about it, but uh, you got to see it on the floor. You, you got to see how it looks once it gets on the floor. You got to see how the rest of the roster really shapes up because the roster is going to be so different. And do you, are, are you able to make it to where, you know, maybe Shingun isn't guarding centers anymore. You know, they, we talked, we talked about this plenty over the course of the winter where they would try and hide Shingun on wings. If they had the right matchup, is that something that they try to do more often, which I think makes a whole lot of sense, but the problem is they're going to find you eventually. Um, so I'm, I'm very, I, I'm just interested to see how it all looks because I do feel like the team that we saw, not even if you kept the same roster, if you kept the same 17 guys that they finished the season with, I feel like the team would look and they would look and play very, very different compared to how it looked last season. If you just brought everybody back, especially I think on the defensive end of the floor, I think that stylistically is where maybe the front office and the coaching staff didn't see eye to eye. I think offensively it looked bad because it was bad, but they're just, it was very hard to make that better. A lot of it was just, if you don't have shooting, you're not going to have a very good offense and they did not have shooting. They only had the one point guard as we've talked about. So um, I, I want to see, uh, it's one of those things where I would love to be able to ask Ima Yudoka this stuff myself, just because you want to, I, I want to get more specific on, on some of this stuff. Yeah. And he, and he had a lot of good stuff or at least interesting stuff about spacing and, you know, like you mentioned the drop coverage with Shingun, um, the freelance. I don't think he used that term, but, Sort of felt like it was a, a bit of a freelance off, uh, offense. He wants yeah. them to kind of have a, a, a an ability to have some structure and to be able to create not just for themselves but for each other. Uh, it's wild, man. Especially oh. watching the and I mean, obviously you're watching the NBA playoffs too. Like all of the playoff teams that are left now play some version of that of what we're talking about of like just sharing the basketball, moving the ball around, making the next smart basketball play. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, definitely the last couple of episodes, the, the Rockets just don't have a ton of guys, if any, not too many who really know what they're doing out there, who know what the next smart basketball play necessarily is. And I think that's where the structure part is really interesting, because this was a Silas thing really from the start where I, I think it was before his first season even started. And this is when they were going to have the vest. This is when they're going to have Harden and Wall running the offense. He said, I don't want to call plays. I don't want to be a team that calls a bunch of plays. If you're watching us and the players are looking back at me for play calls, that means we're not playing the way that we want to play. That means we're not playing fast enough. That's what that, you know, that means we're not playing with flow. And it's easy to do that when you have James Harden and John Wall running your offense. It's a lot harder to do that 
when you have a bunch of teenagers doing it. So I think playing with more structure would certainly help them from an offensive standpoint, especially at the beginning. So that I'm very, I think that's a very important step that, that it looks like they're going to take at least at the start of the season. And, you know, hopefully for them, as you move further along and guys get more experience, you don't have to call plays and you can just let them run things, run things on their own because in, in the NBA, you don't want to overcoach. You know, this is in college where, you know, the shot clock is 30. So you have more time and you can run a whole lot of different things. And you're looking back at the coach every single time because the coaches are in so much control. It doesn't work like that in, in the NBA. So I, I'm interested to see how constricting he tends to be when it comes to the structure. And does he ease off with that a little bit as the season goes along? Man, I wish it didn't work like that in college, honestly. I wish they didn't overcoach there either, but that's a discussion for a whole nother day. I wish they'd let kind of let their guys play a little bit more, but I do understand why they don't. Uh, if you watch the game, you kind of you might understand why they might want to have a little bit of a heavier hand with some of those guys out there. Uh, but yeah, man, like uh, this is this is going to be interesting to see how this MA Udoka thing unfolds over time. Obviously, they're in a in the combine stage right now. The draft is coming up, but once we get in to camp and you know obviously the season itself it's going to be very interesting to see how all of this stuff plays out and and we'll have this discussion again i'm sure as the oh. team sort of remakes itself or is remade i should say as players come and go we'll probably throw these ideas around and talk about fits and those sort of things and those will be fun discussions to have to have but let me ask you this you know anything about Royal Ivy as a as an assistant coach? Because I haven't thought about him much since. Obviously, he's a very good player at Texas twenty years ago, and you know had some time in the NBA. I remember with the with the Atlanta with the Atlanta uh, Hawks for for a while, but haven't thought about him much. Obviously, he's been an assistant coach, worked with Emei Udoka on the Brooklyn staff. What and I've heard good things about Royal Royal Ivy. I even heard somebody say, I can't remember who this was, but I read somebody say that, hey, you know, he'll be a he'll be a head coach eventually. So it's fine. And I'm like, oh, I didn't I had no idea that Royal Royal Ivy was on any kind of fast track to become a head coach or anything. But what do you think about this hire? I feel like it's the first one that I really know of of, of anybody joining Udoka staff. Yeah, th th this is the first name that has been at least reported so far. And I, I don't know much about Royal Ivy, the assistant coach. I did run it by somebody within the league. And um, this person said that he's he's terrific. So I'm going to take that person's word for it. Um, you know, he it's interesting because he does have ties to James Harden in Oklahoma City back when he kind of finished his career uh, playing in Oklahoma City in those uh, early Westbrook Durant Harden years. Now, I don't think that you hire Royal Ivy as, you know, a way to get James Harden. It's not like, oh, hey, you know, Philly offered me four years. You guys are offering me two. But you know what? You guys have Royal Ivy on the staff, so I'm just going to – I'll, I'll take the less money. No, I don't think that's how it works. But he he's a guy who's been thought of highly. He's been a part of teams that have kind of been in developmental mode, I think that you could say, uh, both as a player and as a coach. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I do think I've been fascinated by the lack of staff hires at this point. But I, I think it was Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated basically said that Udoka is going to bring some guys over from Boston. And, you know, Boston's playing right now. It makes some sense uh, that he would bring over some of his guys because you look his you know, he had three assistants of his from the Celtics last year now had coaches. Joe Mazzulla is a head coach now. Um, Will Hardy's a head coach now. And and then uh, um, uh, what's his name? Damon Stoudemire is is a head coach. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. In college, 
that's a good portion of his staff that has moved on to be head coaches, but he does have, there are still guys left on that Boston staff that he could bring over. But yeah, the, the, the staff, it seems like he's not bringing anybody back from Silas staff. Uh, It's been three weeks now and that hasn't come up at all. Um, And that maybe even includes John Lucas at this point, you know, you're kind of waiting to, to hear if if Lucas might return it kind of, I feel like if Lucas were to return, they would have said something by now, but you know, who knows? It, It might be a situation where Lucas just, stays in player development as opposed to being, you know, an actual bench assistant where he was the lead assistant the last three years for Silas. So that's an interesting domino that's still left here. Yeah. Um, and of course, Kelly did ask him about that, about hiring his assistants. And it was a pretty standard quote about, you know, wanting to find guys that can build relationships with players, an energetic group of coaches uh, who are going to be hands on and that basically that that's just something that they're still working on. Uh, one of the things that they've been working on in this time, but you know, I thought it was funny. I would hear Celtics fans whenever all of this news is coming out about Royal Ivy and anything about the potential coaching staff for Ime Yudoka, and they're asking if he can if he can take Missoula with them, um, which is which is funny, obviously. But uh, but but also to me speaks to you know, I know Missoula's having it, you know his stretch there as a rookie head coach, but. It, it is it is noticeable not having him there. I, I scoff at anybody that's like, oh well, they're they're just fine without him. Like, yeah, no, they are, they were talented before he became their head coach, and they've been talented since. Obviously, uh, he didn't put the team together, but I mean, he he made a noticeable difference on that team. I think you can see that from what they were before he got there and what they've been without him. I, I think I think there's enough there now to, to at the very least say that. 